0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com go slash tax security podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number nine of the tax Security Podcast, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco technical assistance security teams. Here in the studio today, we've got the same great panel of ASA and firewall service module experts, Blaine Dreyer, David White, and Magnus Mortensen. And I'm your host, Jay Johnston. Today, we're going to be talking about multiple context mode, on the ASA and firewall service module platforms Uh, but before we get into that Magnus uh, we've at least gotten one user feedback asking for a CCIE update from you so I'm gonna pass it along where are you with the CCIE?
1: Alright so uh, today uh, met with met with my manager kinda talk about some career development things and uh, he wanted me to focus specifically on the CCIE so I think it's time right now I've got nothing road blocking me from getting to it so I would say by next episode, we should have an update of when the next lab attempt will be.
0: Okay. Well, we'll be looking for that. But uh, how's the studying going? You have been studying recently? You have been busy with other um,
1: stuff? I've been kind of juggling a handful of things. Uh, right now, I'm in the process of uh, building a new house. Um, so it should be completed in the coming few months. But one of the things that I'm interested in is kind of some home networking ideas. You know, it's part of the rough-in and everything. We're trying to see w- how do we want to wire things? What are some good ideas? And to be honest, right now, I'm not all that sure.
0: You run in uh, copper everywhere? More is it more expensive not. if you do that?
1: Uh, it is. It, it costs some ridiculous amount of money to have them run each line, but to do it during building, obviously, is going to be a lot nicer than trying to run the wiring afterwards.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, My builder wouldn't exactly do what I wanted him to do, so I went in there, and he, he was running Cat5 cable for the phone lines. So I waited till they put that in and saw what color it was and everything and went out and bought a spool and ran my own uh, Cat5 to all the rooms for Ethernet jacks back to the central cloud. So you just
0: left it on... Un- Terminated,
2: just yeah. ran the wires, and then when uh, after I moved in, then I pulled the jacks off and replaced all the the face plates and stuff with both, the, you know, the RJ forty five for phone as well as for Ethernet connectivity. I bet that saved you a bunch. I know. The well, they wouldn't do what I wanted them to do, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they they wanted to like two hundred and fifty bucks for each run yeah. to the room. Yeah. It's that's like ridiculous.
0: ridiculous. Uh, Eloy, our buddy, um, he uh, didn't run any wires and just uses Linksys. Uh, access points as layer two bridges everywhere around his house but like I, I do some of that but uh... the bandwidth just isn't good enough so
2: yeah. it's just it's not fast yeah. enough I remember I lived in an apartment right and they've got a you know they run a a bundle of uh, phone wires to all the different jacks and they use the same you know two pairs for everything I just used some unused pair and use those to join you know an ethernet hub everywhere to all the different faceplates <laughs> <so. laughs> I mean, I guess I guess that
1: would work. Uh, I don't know, fiber, copper. You know, it's year two thousand ten. What do you well, think? Is the I would best think way? that a gigabit. No, a, a gigabit drop in every room would certainly be okay.
0: Like, I don't know, streaming DVDs and HD content. I definitely can't do it over eight to eleven G, which is what yeah. I'm sort of running in my house now. So I've got a i have got got to drill a hole in the wall, uh, hole, hole in the floor to run a patch, but my wife does not want me to do that. So I gotta figure out something to
3: do. Yeah, I don't know that you'd actually be able to use fiber yet. We're not we're not quite there. And then when you go to sell that house, I think copper is going to be more useful to the non-geek that you know wants to install something else, maybe additional phone lines or whatever. So.
1: But what if I want like a 6500 in every room?
3: That's going to be very hot inside your house. Very expensive. (laughs) Ten gig line cards. I don't know. I did see this uh, thing. 5580s. I know where you can find (laughs) something.
0: I saw something cool today. It was a uh, and I actually ordered some. It's a um it's a wall plate a power wall plate it has two USB ports on it.
3: I saw that. Those and they're not wonderful. data
0: yeah, they're not data ports, they're just powered ports. Power,
3: yeah. So. yeah, all these cell phones and iPods and everything like that. There's no point in doing the conversion of power, you know, just have yeah. a USB port there and you can plug directly into it. Yeah. Those are really cool. It's
1: like they have it all the uh, airport terminals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You always wonder if they're active and like
0: they'll attach to your device and start mm-hmm. doing something with it or pulling your music down or something I like that. I just
1: uploaded my personal
2: files to Delta Airlines. There's Oops. a massive
3: government gaza server running somewhere <laughs> stealing people's music.
2: Well, uh, as Jay mentioned, we also have been getting uh, quite a bit of user feedback, um, and we've also been looking at, uh, you know, who downloads the episodes. So, uh, you know, I have to give props down to our friends in Costa Rica. I looked the other day, and uh, the last episode, they downloaded it 36,000 times for that country. (laughs) Yeah, Costa Rica. Go Costa Rica. We are noticing that uh, you're listening, so uh, thanks a lot for your support. Um, There's also, you know, several readers have written in. Um, Marv the Great from... uh, Utah, we got Carl from Connecticut, Bill from Tampa, uh Dan from Australia, Srinivas from New York City, Bartlett from UK, um and Athena from Texas. So Uh, Thanks everybody for writing in on the last episode. We really appreciate it.
0: Yep, and uh, you know we're when when people write in for the show, I usually uh, respond back and just say, hey, thanks thanks for the feedback, and also tell us how you found the show, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and also uh, what you'd like to see for future episodes. So we've gotten some ideas for future episodes, and uh, we we read every single email, and we take everything into consideration. So um, you know, definitely keep the feedback coming in.
2: Yeah, and if uh, you want to send feedback, the email address is.
0: Security show at Cisco.com.
2: That's right.
0: There you go. Okay. Well, today we're going to be talking about multiple context mode. It's a feature available on both the ASA and the Firewall Service Module uh, platforms, and it's something that we do see our customers take good advantage of. Um, the basic idea is that from one physical firewall, you can have multiple virtual firewalls running. Um, you could sort of compare it to something like VMware. Uh, it's really handy because you know those instantiated. Uh, virtual firewalls can be separately administrated and also um, there's there's some specific advantages, there's some pros and some cons to running in multiple modes. So we're going to talk about that today.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I think some of the pros of running in uh, multiple context mode we see are uh, usually from an administrative standpoint more than anything else. Um, The idea is a lot of customers, if they've got separate networks, they used to have separate firewalls for each one of those networks in order to segregate them. Well, with virtual firewalls, you can consolidate. It's that sort of idea of consolidating your data center, consolidating all the different pieces of your network so that you can have one single device but provide different use for it. Um, so we see that a lot with dividing up uh, for different customers. If you have a provider that's you know providing firewalling services, they can segment and isolate each customer such that they have the administrative control over that one little segment. So you can say, okay, well, Mr. Customer, here you go. You have this. Firewall that you can configure, you can do all your access list stuff, but they don't have access to all the other customer firewalls.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think it's key that there's. really see two general use cases for it. So, one is the enterprise space and or um, you know educational institutions mm-hmm. where they want to put separate firewalls to fire firewall off different departments or different groups of users, um, and they might not necessarily want those groups of users to control the firewall. They just want separate firewalls to fire firewall off the network, and that's you know you. In those cases, you generally have one administrator that administers all the individual firewalls. But the other case is more the ISP where the feature was really um, designed for is so that you, know, you have an ISP and they can kind of manage firewall services or resell firewall mm-hmm. services. And that's why you know, the firewalls are isolated both from a management aspect as well as from a transient traffic aspect. They're isolated there. So that's uh, kind of some of the reasons some of the design decisions were made. But we do see them used a lot in enterprise space as well. Now, I mean,
1: while those are great options there, there are some downsides right now when you run in multiple context mode. Um, one specific one that we see a lot of customers uh, gripe with is specifically no dynamic routing. Um, you know, if you have a large enterprise and you move from single mode into multiple context mode, well, well, you lose your dynamic routing. So if you're running that on your firewall, you're not going to be anymore. The other big one is going to be no VPN support. Uh, we don't have virtualized VPN yet for the, uh, uh, for the platforms, either ASA or FWSM. Um, multicast routing is another tricky one. Uh, you do have some workarounds where you can pass multicast traffic through like a transparent firewall or a transparent context, but you don't have the same sort of robust multicast routing you would in single mode. Um, and I think those are really sort of the top three issues that we see people run into when moving from single to mode, uh, single mode to multiple mode just from a feature standpoint. Um, But really, the whole idea behind it is you you just have to think, you've got three different types of things. You've got your system context, which as Jay was mentioning, it's very much like VMware. It's the host machine that everything's running on. You've got your user context, which are just like in VMware, uh, individual machines that are running within a VMware image. Um, And then you've got what we dub our admin context, and that's one that has administrative privileges over all the other contexts on the box. And uh, it also is a centralized location for logging of that system context. So we'll go into some of those details a little bit later. But, uh, again, that's just basically the gist of it.
2: Yeah, and so, I mean, just, uh, you know, starting with the very basics there, again, is, you know, two things first. One, you got to decide if you want to use multi-context or single-context mode um, for deployment scenario. And, again, use single-context mode by default unless you have a reason to need um, multiple context, you know, for Either user traffic separation or administrative separation, because you know a, a single context with four interfaces, you know, can be equivalent from a security policy perspective as uh, you know a two-context firewall with two different independent interfaces. It just depends how you configure it. So, but because of the limitations of dynamic routing and VPN, um, you know there are some drawbacks to using multi-context mode. But should you choose to go into multi-context mode, one single command to do it: mode space multiple, and that'll get you into multi-context mode and uh, set you up and put you a create you a default admin context um, if you want to get back just mode single and it does require a reboot in both cases
0: so once you're in multiple context mode
2: you'll have your
0: system context which is going to be you know the base context by which you create and destroy context and also allocate interfaces to context um, and you'll have an admin context and an admin context is a user context and ad- it, meaning that it can have interfaces assigned to it, and it passes traffic. But the admin context is special. You've always got to have one. And by default, um, if the firewall needs to pull down a TFTP image or um, you know uh, transfer data, the system context doesn't have specific interfaces assigned to it. So it'll use the connectivity inherited from the admin context.
2: Okay. Same for syslogs. If uh, there's some system level log that occurs, like a failover, right? That is generated via the sy- the system context but it's sent out through the admin context because that's where the IP connectivity is, is in that admin context. Um, another thing we should probably mention is that multiple context mode is a licensed feature, so by default you get two contexts for free on any of the platforms and the admin context does not count as one of those two contexts. So In addition to the admin context, you also get two additional user contexts for a total of three contexts because you use the two contexts that you create as well as the admin context can be used to pass you know, regular firewall traffic. There's nothing, you know, unique about it other than it has additional privileges. Yep. And so when you're ready to create a context, uh, in the
0: system context, you'll you'll create a new context with the context space name command, where the name is the name of the context, what you're going to call it. And then from there, you specify a config URL. Now what that means is you're telling the firewall service module where on disk the uh, context configuration is going to live. Likewise on the ASA, it'll be living on the, uh, on the Flash of the ASA. But you're specifying the config file of that context, where it lives on Flash, and where go- that context is going to store its configuration. Within that con- uh, context sub-mode, you can also allocate interfaces. So, say you have an ASA 5510 with two interfaces uh, that are going to be passing traffic for context one, you would allocate gigabit ethernet zero one and gigabit ethernet zero two uh,
2: to that context. Right, and because, you know, it was designed for, you know, the original town was kind of like an ISP setting, you can also alias those interfaces. So um, you can create, even though you're passing it down, you know, Ethernet 01 or Gigabit Ethernet 01, um, you can rename that to be inside or rename it to outside so that when the user goes into that context, they don't actually see the physical interface name. They'll see whatever you've named it, um, and you do that when you allocate that interface. So
0: after the, uh, the context is created, a config role is specified, and the out- interfaces are passed down to that context, the next step is to go ahead and start configuring the context. Um, to get into that context mode, you type change to context and then the name of the context, and that will pop you right into that virtual firewall context. You're in that uh, virtual firewall, and if you were to do a show run, you would see just the config for that one virtual firewall, and you're ready to get started.
2: And that, and that config is identical to any other box that's running in single mode. Um, I mean, there's no there's no difference. Once you're in that context, you know, treat it exactly the same as you would any other ASA or f 2 firewall that you run. on. With the exemption of routing and the dynamic right. routing. Right, w- with the exception of the features, but yeah. all the other, I mean, the commands, everything else. Syntax the, is all the same. Everything is identical, yeah. right? And, and you really have, you know, a lot of times, you have no concept of that you're in a context, so you look down at your prompt and you see that the prompt has changed to include the context name.
0: So there's one really important uh, aspect to all of this, and that's you've got one physical firewall that could have many virtual uh, firewalls you know, configured on it. So obviously, the firewall has to determine which uh, particular context needs to handle that traffic.
3: Right. So with a a physical firewall, you have uh, multiple interfaces that all go to one instance of a firewall on on that hardware appliance. With virtual firewalls or contexts, you have multiple instances of firewalls running on that same physical device. So when a a packet arrives on one of the interfaces, um, that interface must either be associated with a particular virtual firewall, or there must be some other way to figure that out. And and we have an algorithm uh, that's referred to as a classifier that determines which context to send those packets to. So the packet arrives on the interface, the firewall determines which context to send that packet to, the context does all its normal firewall, inspection checks, ACLs, all that, and then goes ahead and passes the packet via that context routing table. So
1: there are essentially really three ways that we can look at uh, how to know which context to hand that packet off to. Um, One is the concept of tracking it by interface. Uh, If there's only, if that interface that it came in on is only associated to one context, well, obviously that's where it's got to go. Right,
2: and an interface there can be physical or logical interface. Up. So, physical interface, sub-interface, or a VLAN interface. As long as that interface is unique to a single context, you've classified that packet. Simple steps, simple steps. So yeah, and that's the easiest and, and most simple way of, uh, you know, getting a packet to a context.
3: Okay, so we have this concept of interfaces on the firewall and their assignment to individual virtual firewalls or contexts. And when if we talk about the, the interfaces assigned to context, we're normally talking about one interface assigned to one particular context. Uh, we have a different situation that we need to cover, and that is when one interface is assigned to multiple contexts. That we call a shared interface.
0: So when would you, so when would, um, you would see that deployed? I mean, what's a sample scenario for our, our listeners to understand maybe when, when you would deploy this sort of thing?
2: So I think it's very common in the case where um, the outside connectivity to the firewall, um, you know, they, they get an address block from an ISP, and it's a, typically a single address block. And if you've got multiple virtual contexts or multiple virtual firewalls running, they're going to have the same outside interface, you know, so that's going to be shared across those multiple contexts. So their connectivity to the Internet via the outside interface is all going to be on the same VLAN and or, you know, VLAN for firewall, firewall service module or physical interface for the ASA um, and so in that case you run into the concept of a shared interface and that has its own restrictions.
1: Well uh, essentially there are really three ways we can classify a packet when it comes into the uh, it comes into the firewall. Uh, first one is going to be the interface and in, since we're talking about shared interfaces we're already past this point you know if there's only one interface if this interface is only associated to one context well we know just by logic okay well it's got to go to that context but When we've already got multiple interfaces, we've got some different things we can look at. Uh, One would be the MAC address that's coming in on that packet. We can look and say, okay, well, that MAC address is owned by this context or this context, A, B, whatever. And so on one
3: interface, we can assign a different MAC address to each interface on a per-context basis. On a per-context
1: basis, and that's a function that we have on the ASA and, I believe, only the ASA platform currently. Starting with 7.2. 7.2 code. Um, the FWSM unfortunately has one single MAC address for all interfaces, which then means we have to do a little bit more logic to try and figure out where this is going to go. And we look at the destination IP address of that packet to determine which context owns that IP address. Uh, we declare ownership in a context through the use of static and global commands. Uh, what we do is we look at the uh, essentially the global address associated in the static command. Uh, or the global address associated with the global command, and say, "All right, this context owns these addresses. According to these, is this one of them? Okay, send it to that packet. Uh, send it to that context. If, for some reason, we get a packet in and we look at our table of uh, global addresses owned by context, and we don't have an association that we can follow, we're going to log a uh, classification error message, and that's going to be seen in the admin context that we talked about earlier. Which uh, kind of brings it back around to say, you know, always make sure you're logging in your admin context." A lot of people don't use the admin context because they don't think about it, but you know, always make sure you're doing logging there for
3: failover events, or in this case, classification errors as well. So I get a packet, it comes in on an interface to the firewall, and then I've got to classify it to some particular context in some fashion. I can use interfaces. Mm-hmm. If I have a situation where I'm sharing interfaces, I can use the MAC address assigned on a per context basis to that particular interface. If I can't use that um, with the examples that you gave, then I can also use the global address of either the global or the static command, the NAT Correct. commands, based on the destination IP of that flow. Exactly,
1: the destination IP of the packet that's coming into this interface that we're trying to quote-unquote classify.
0: And, and given um, given this issue in the, in the classification process we described, working in the TAC, uh, we do get some cases on um, mu- the multiple context mode cases that we get that have to do with the firewalls usually surround the classification problems, specifically with the FWSM. So, uh, for example, if you've got a context uh, that's running uh, absolutely fine and it has two interfaces, and the outside interface is VLAN 50, um, sometimes we see the situation where um, a customer would create a, n- a new context on that firewall and assign VLAN 50 to that second context. As soon as that happens, the firewall service module classifier can't use the VLAN to determine which context to send a packet um, a packet to, so it has to fall back to uh, the NAT um, that Magnus talked about. And in some cases, if that NAT's not correctly configured or not, not configured at all, then the uh, firewall service module can suddenly stop passing traffic. And you would then see errors in the admin context, um, syslogs indicating that it failed to classify the packet.
1: Exactly. And, and one thing that uh, I've had a lot of cases on where the customers will ask, well, I do already have NAT configured, but we look and it's actually NAT exemption that they have with a NAT zero, for example. Um, that doesn't count when it comes to packet classification. Another thing that doesn't count that uh, people think does is the routing table. Uh, those two we don't make decisions on when it comes to classifying packets. Again, the only two things uh, from a NAT perspective when we talk about IP addresses are going to be your static statements and your global statements.
2: Right. And one other common example, you know, besides the one that Jay mentioned that we see a lot is, uh, again, with a shared interface example, um, you might have context A and you've got a bunch of host-specific static statements for, you know, some of your servers on the inside. Um, and then you create context B, and in context B it has the same shared outside interface, but now you create a class C static, right, say for the 10, you know, 1010 10, 10, 0, class C static. And now that static encompasses entries from context A, which had the host specific ones. Well, it depends on the order in which actually it's created on the FWSM, how the packet's gonna, you know, where the packet's gonna get routed to, which context it is. So, you know, when you get um, you know, when you create statics that are uh, you know spanning a large number of address spaces across a shared interface, that's when you can run into a lot of problems. So you gotta remember that, hey, if this is sharing um, the same interface across multiple contexts, then your static statements need to be specific enough that they're not overlapping between contexts.
0: And if you're in the design phase of this, um, it, a lot of our customers find it very tempting to use a shared outside interface on the firewall service module, um, just given that uh, you know it, it it might be easier to configure from a routing perspective or the rest of your network. But um, sometimes you know uh, customers just completely avoid the classification problem by uh, having the um, host switch route the traffic specifically to um, a particular VLAN which is sent to each context. So uh, if you don't share any interfaces, you won't have these uh, classification problems. So it, it might be a good idea
2: to um, design your network such that you won't hit hit this issue in the future. Great. And again, it's particular for the active M because um, it cannot assign unique addresses on a shared um, interface across multiple contexts. But again, on that On the ASA, you can, starting with version 7.2, but it's not on by default. So you have to enable the command MAC address auto, and that will dynamically generate a MAC address um, for each unique uh, interface uh, for a shared interface. Uh, Additionally, you can manually assign those MAC addresses to the individual interfaces if you want. Um, If you're in failure mode, you need to remember that not only do you need to assign the MAC address for the active unit, but also for the standby unit as well. Um, there has also been an enhancement to the MAC Address Auto Command on um, the ASA. So in 805 and in um, 81 as well as 8.2 we added an option to the MAC Address Auto Command called MAC Address Auto Prefix where you specify a user defined prefix. And the reason for this was there were some customers that were adding a ton of ASAs um, with shared interfaces on say the outside interface and they're all adding those ASAs to the same network. And when the ASA generated its um, auto-generated MAC address, you could have a duplicate MAC address across multiple ASAs. And so therefore, the prefix command allows you to specify um, a prefix unique to each box so that when we auto-generate the MACs, we use that prefix so that you don't have duplication across ASAs in your network.
0: Uh, What are some commands that we can use uh, to troubleshoot you know, connectivity problems with multiple context mode, or just get a a quick look to see what interfaces are assigned to which context.
1: So from the system context, uh, again, uh, some sample commands would be something like show context. That just gives you a quick uh, high-level overview of Uh, what contexts are running on the box, also what the config URL lines are, so where in Flash or where in the disk that config file is stored, Uh, also tells you allocated interfaces. So you can see pretty quick if you've got any overlap or anything like that, any shared interfaces.
0: And if you just want to see the running config in the system context that has to do with context, you can do a show run context and that will just show you the context portion of the config. And
2: some other things to remember too is that because each context is its own virtual firewall, um, if you do a write memory, that only saves the config in whatever context you're in. So if you're in system space, say saves it in system space. If you're in context A, it only saves it in context A. So what's more useful is a write memory all, um, and you can execute that from the system context, and then I'll tell you, at the output on the screen, I'll tell you that it recursively goes through each context and saves the individual um, context config. So that's a very good command to uh, use and something that uh, needs to be understood. The only yeah. got the only gotcha there though that I've
1: run into is in uh, on the FWSM and the two X code train, that command doesn't exist.
2: Yes, but, but if you're running two X, then um, you really need to think. Why about are you greedy. running two X? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, another thing is is that again in the enterprise space and in the um, edu- educational space, um, where there's a single administrator administering all the context, it's uh, often useful to have a shared interface or shared VLAN across all contexts so that you can send say syslogs out to the same management station or TACACS or RADIUS information out to the same management station so in that case you design it so you have a single VLAN or interface that's shared across all contexts and they can use that. Um, Another common question we get is how do I reboot a context? Well there is no uh, reboot command available within a context so what you need to do is there's two ways of doing it. One is you can just remove and then re-add the context and that causes it to delete and reload that context config or you can go into the context and do a clear config all and then a copy start to run and that's essentially the same thing. Um, So both of those will essentially reboot the context.
0: And as far as management of the contexts, the admin context specifically is nice because if you SSH or Telnet or connect directly to the admin context, you can then change to the system context to uh, administer that or to any other user context. Whereas if you were to SSH directly to a user context that's not the admin context, you're locked down to that context. So that's, that's one way we keep, you know, specific customers that might own a particular context in their organization, they are locked into just that one context and they can't change the configuration in any other context.
3: So we have a, an additional item a, that's called context resource allocation and that's synonymous to running a bunch of virtual servers in a VMware environment and each of those virtual servers taking some portion of the overall CPU for that physical server. We have the ability to create classes with different resource limits and apply each context to one of those classes.
0: A common is, you know, the the firewall service module has a maximum number of connections of 999,980, right? So, by um, configuring these resource classes, you can can prevent one context from using all of them. Um, We
2: don't see a lot of customers using this feature, um, but it is there if you choose to use it. Another thing to bring up is, um, you know, is there any performance difference um, by using multiple context mode versus using single context mode? So, there is, you know, multiple context mode does add some overhead, um, a lot of that has to do with the classification of the packet getting it to the right context and then you know the firewalling that goes on there. and the performance um, impact is more as you scale the context up. So you know having one context on the box has you know a very small impact on performance versus a hundred context, which adds you know a little bit more uh, impact on the performance. So you can expect to see you know like a 20 percent performance decrease by adding a bunch of context and having multi-context mode. Another thing is how do you monitor some of the top-level performance characteristics. From system space, there's a command called show resource usage. And that's going to give you you the connection counts, the xlate counts, the number of inspections per second or syslogs per second generated across each context. You can get a very good global idea of of what the box is doing. Obviously, um, show CPU usage from the system space will tell you what the overall CPU is, and from within a given context, it'll show you how much of the CPU that context is using. Um, so that is virtualized, um, as well are you know, the connections and the x-slates, those are also virtualized within the context. So if you're in a context, you do show con, or show con count, it, you're only going to see the connections applicable to that virtual context. But from global mode, It'll, it'll be the aggregate of everything. Or by show resource usage, you can see um, the individual counts for each context without changing into them. Like so a quick snapshot of, of essentially everything.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about performance and resources. And at this point, we do need to spend some time talking about uh, some firewall service module-specific uh, issues. that, And we do see these cases come into the TAC sometimes. And it has to do with the NP3 uh, ACL memory on the network processor 3.
2: Right, so MP3 is where we store um, the compiled ACLs on the FWSM, and it has a fixed, it's a hardware chip, so it's got a fixed amount of memory on it. And in single context mode, or in single mode, um, all that memory is allocated to the one um, instance of the firewall you have running. When you go to multi-context mode, by default, we're going to separate or segment that memory up into 12 equal-sized chunks. Um, If you have 12 contexts you're creating, then that's great because now you've got um, a Uh, one-to-one mapping between the number of contexts and how we've partitioned that memory for you. If you're using two contexts, then it's not so great because each context will be mapped to a partition, but of the twelve you're only using two, so the other ten partitions are unused space. And that's not a good um, utilization of that ACL memory.
0: Yeah, the way way we see that manifest itself is a customer will go to add more elements to an access list in a context and they'll suddenly get a warning about um, ACL memory at 100%, compilation failed, and then they config call us up. Re- limit config reached. limit reached. Yeah, yeah. And, and they call us up and then we explain basically what we're telling you now is is about these 12 partitions and um, fortunately uh, starting in version 4.0 we have some ways to uh, definitely um, optimize the way the partitions are created.
2: Yeah. Actually in 2.3 we allowed you to define those partition counts. So you can change it from 12 down to 2 or 3, you know, that number should match how many contexts you have. Um, and that way you're maximizing the memory available. But as Jay mentioned, um, we've made some additional enhancements both in 3.2 and in 4.0, where in 4.0 you can actually say, I want to give 60% of the memory to context 1, 20% to context 2, and 20% to context 3. So you can really divide up how you want that memory allocated. Um, By default, uh, with the 12 partitions, you get about 14,000 aces per, per partition. Um, whereas if you go down to, you know, a single partition, you're at around 100,000 ACES in that partition, now just I know to give you
1: a snapshot. back from the, like, 2x days up to the 3x days, we've definitely made some significant improvements into how we store those access lists. So uh, I've run into a bunch of cases where a customer will be running, for instance, 2-3 code, and, you know, they are hitting the ACL limit, and they've done the best they can with the partitions. Uh, in some cases, it's best to do an upgrade at that point because yeah. we have
2: optimized how we store that information. Yeah, it, uh, It's not... We didn't really optimize how we stored it, what we did is we made, we acquired some additional memory on that by uh, releasing some memory from some other functions that were using it on the MP3. So we actually went from, I think in the 2-2 two, two days we were around sixty um, six, sixty seven thousand 67,000 um, aces was the total that total, you can have yeah. in, in a single context mode, right? And then when you're in a multi-context you divide it up by 13, right? 12 partitions in the one in backup. Um, and then when you go up to the 4.0, you're over a little bit over 100,000. So in single context mode, it's around 112, I think. When you go to multi-context mode, you're down to about 100,000, um, equally divided amongst the 12 partitions.
0: And you can check, if you're running your firewall service module, um, the, s- the amount of space uh, each partition is currently used on MP3. I think the command is show MP3 ACL stat. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Show MP3 ACL stat. And there's also show MP3 ACL count to see the actual counts as well. So uh, differences between
0: uh, ASA and the FWSM, let's just talk some basic differences as far as multi-context mode goes. The FWSM offers up to, can support up to 250 contexts and 1,000 interfaces. And in a transparent context, each context can have up to eight bridge groups, meaning we can have up to eight pairs of uh, VLAN
2: interfaces that are bridged at layer two. On the
0: ASA, we currently support up to 50 contexts per uh, physical firewall. And, and that,
2: that 50 context is dependent on platform, though, too. Um, so, like, the 5580 would support 50, but as you go down, you know, 5540, 5520, that number decreases.
0: Yep, and it's a license feature, so obviously to increase the number of contexts from, your, from the base license, um, you're going to need to purchase other, uh, a new license from Cisco that will increase the uh, number of contexts you have available. Um, transparent firewall mode, uh, contexts that use uh, transparent firewall mode must have unique interfaces. Earlier we were talking about shared interfaces in the classifier. With the case of transparent mode, you cannot share interfaces amongst two different contexts, with the exception of the newly released Firewall Service Module version 411, where you can have an administrative management interface that's shared across multiple contexts. But again, that would not be... Uh, that would not be part of a bridge group, it would just be used for management of the firewall. Right,
2: so traffic destined to the firewall service module, not going through the firewall service module. Um, the other uh, interesting thing that we should point out is, you know, most of what we've been talking about in multi-context mode is uh, routed mode context with the shared infrastructure like Jay was saying, and that's because that's what most of the customers are running. Um, on the ASA, your multiple context mode, all the contexts have to be in either routed mode, or in transparent mode. You can't say context A is in routed mode and context B is in transparent mode. However on the FWSM you do have that capability so it's called mixed mode and in that case um, by default you know everything's going to be in, in one um, format so everything will be in routed mode by default. But you can change and you can say you can have one context in routed and the next three contexts in transparent mode. That's perfectly fine on the FWSM. So another little bit of difference between the two boxes there.
0: And if you're passing a packet through more than one context on the firewall, meaning that a packet enters one firewall, a context leaves and then enters another firewall context, um, obviously that packet is going to use uh, twice the resources on the firewall. Um, when you have two firewall service module contexts back to back, meaning that the packet is not routed to a layer three hop before it enters the firewall service module again, um, that's what we what, that's what we call the context where' cascaded. Um, we
2: right, and so just to clarify, there's, there's two options. There's one is in series, right where you go from like the inside of context A to the outside of context A, and then the inside of context B to the outside of context B without going through any layer three device. and that is not a supported topology.. Yep. Um, what is supported is you go from the inside of context A to the outside of context B to the uh, I'm sorry, the inside of context A to outside of context A, and then that goes to the outside of context B and then to the inside of context B. So you're kind of making a U without going through any Layer 3 device. That is a supported and that's called a cascaded context.
0: And obviously you've got the same classification problems that you could have because you have a shared interface in this case. So um, sometimes customers opt to route traffic out of the firewall service module down to a uh, Layer 3 SVI on the switch and then route it back to the firewall from there. And obviously there are performance implications when
2: uh, you switch the traffic in this way. Right, the other thing is um, with failover and multi-context. Um, there's no real um, special requirements other than just remember to do a write-memory-all um, so that you're saving all the config, and that command is replicated to the peer, and that way it saves all the context config. Um, the only other thing to mention is, uh, I think in a previous episode, we talked about running in active-active mode. And so what active-active mode is is it's optional, but it's required to be in multi-context mode first. And in that case, if you've got two contexts on your box, context A and context B, context A can be active on the primary firewall, and context B would be active on the secondary firewall. So you're utilizing both firewalls or both actively passing um, transient traffic. um, So therefore, they're they're called active active mode in failover. Um, And in that case, there's really no um, restrictions other than some customers that issue a write standby. And what a write standby does is it says blow away all the configuration on the quote unquote standby device. Um, but when you're in active-active mode, there is no standby device because they're both active. So in that case, it translates to blow away the entire config on the secondary device. And therefore, if you have a context that was active on the secondary, it now has to fail, that context fails over to the primary box. Um, so therefore, just be aware that you know, there is one um, you know, design consideration, taking account that if you do write standby, then that's going to blow away the entire config on the standby and cause a failover of that context. So all your traffic will be going through the primary Uh, device.
0: And if you were completely confused by what Dave just said, please refer to our troubleshooting failover episodes. I think they were episode four and five uh, of the Tax Security Podcast. And um, we give a lot more information about failover and how it's configured. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. Uh, We're looking for your feedback, so make sure to send us an email to securityshow at cisco.com. And tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like, and tell us what you'd like to hear in future episodes. Uh, remember to refer to the show notes um, for more information about what we talked about in this episode. That can be found at our homepage at www.cisco.com go slash tax security podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com go slash tax security podcast.